This episode is brought to you by the hilarious novel FIFO by Aaron Weston, available on Aaron Weston Author Instagram account. Alright, enjoy the show! Hi everyone and welcome to the Aaron White Show, and I'm your host, Aaron. Today we have a fantastic guest, Midtown Jack. Midtown is a music producer, DJ and a radio host. Welcome to the show, Midtown. Thanks very much for having me. Ah, you're welcome. Hey, can you please tell me your story, like how and where you grew up, any life-changing events, and how you got into DJing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically, I grew up in the country in South Australia. Um, it was uh, it was a pretty fun childhood and uh, the perfect breeding ground for becoming a musician, I think, because I lived on a farm, so I had no neighbours for a good couple of kilometres around me, and I could uh, stay up late putting together little sound systems cobbled together from thrift shops in my bedroom and, and playing music <laughs> stupidly loud, um, which now that I've uh, moved in the city, I realize really was a, uh, a bit of a, um, bit of a luxury and uh, have to turn it down at a reasonable time or, or start making music in headphones. Uh, but yeah, grew up um, playing piano and a few instruments and stuff through primary school and a bit through high school. Um, my dad was a musician, um, Again, nothing like professionally trained or anything, just kind of had like, self-taught himself uh, guitar and piano and even accordion and, a, and harmonica and a few other obscure instruments um, just for his love of music. So I, I suppose I naturally gravitated towards being interested in that. I also just had a, a primary school. I, I don't know if this was all primary schools in general, but it seemed like everybody had you know, music lessons with the, um, with the out-of-school a piano instructor that would come down and I kind of just got sucked into that collectively I've done about seven years of uh, keyboard and piano over my lifetime and also have a, a bachelor's degree in music although I cannot sight read or play music on command uh, so I, I don't know how much that necessarily translated into what I do today um, probably one of the bigger things that happened growing up that got me really interested in um, in making music was my dad bought a computer and um, a copy of Cubase, which is a like piece of production software and a few other things like a, a little MIDI keyboard and a drum machine. And he bought it for my uh, stepbrother who is sort of estranged. I've, I've never actually met my stepbrother, but um, my dad wanted to, was interested in that sort of stuff. As I said, he was always interested in all sorts of um, self-taught uh, musical instruments and stuff. And so he was also interested in this sort of digital side of things. Um, plus wanting to learn it so that he could then teach my stepbrother. He brought it to my family's house and set it up on the dining room table and spent a while himself sort of learning it. So then he could teach my stepbrother um, through a series of events that I, I won't go into because it doesn't really pertain to this, uh, to the show today, but uh, my stepbrother never ended up actually getting the, um, the, the audio workstation. And so it just kind of sat on our dining room table for a while. And then it was moved into an office and my dad sort of lost interest in it a bit and it kind of just sat there. Um, and then I, I don't even remember what it was. I, I may have just been, I, I was sick quite a bit growing up as a kid. Just, I don't, I don't know what it was. Just had a really bad immune system. I'd spend entire terms out of school and potentially, I suppose in one of those terms, just home um, pretty much by myself while my dad was working on the farm and uh, saw this computer and being a kid and kind of liking computers and computer games and stuff anyways, I opened it up probably just looking to see if it had any games on it, um, which it didn't, but it did have this one program on there, which was Cubase. 
Um, and I started messing around in, in Cubase and, and Cubase for anybody who's used it. It was, was the absolute worst program to have found on there. It's, it is particularly high end and, and complicated and, and certainly not friendly for, I don't even know how old I would have been, probably eight or nine years old. Um, but there were certain things I could work out with it. I could work out how to get sound coming out of the drum machine so I could tap on the drum machine. I, um, I worked out how to drag MIDI clips in there, which are basically these little digital music score files. And you can, it used to be a big thing in the, um, in the early 2000s. You'd go online and you'd search you know, such and such MIDI and there'd be these very old school looking websites that were just a, um, there'd be a black screen with blue or white text and a bunch of GIFs rotating around the background. And they'd essentially just be lists and lists of movie scores and, and you know, uh, artist albums and stuff transposed into, uh, transcribed into MIDI. And you would take these, yeah, you know, MIDI clips of, you know, movie scores and silly things like that. And I could just drag them straight into Cubase and it would play back. And so I started just by like chopping up these MIDI clips and messing around with them. And, um, and yeah, just, you know, just playing with this program because I was sick and home and bored and had nothing else to do. Um, a few years passed from there and I, I, I'm not entirely sure how eight-year-old me seemed to have a better grasp of how to make music than I would say about the time I was probably 12. Um, four years later, I started getting into dance music. I was never actually that big into music as a kid at all, um, other than you know the, the, the keyboard and piano and the, the MIDI clips of movie scores. And um, when I started high school, and met a whole bunch of new friends, I got shown dance music um, and I really liked dance music. Um, so through you know, buying albums and listening to dance music, I sort of started to think like, oh, that could be pretty cool. You know, I liked playing piano and I had this memory of, you know, of playing with these MIDI clips and liking that and playing with the drum machine and liking that. It'd be really cool to learn how to make some of this dance music stuff. Um, seeing the music videos of, of you know, DJs and producers playing their songs to festivals and everybody jumping around and going crazy. Um, seemed like something that'd be pretty cool to do. Um, and again, I'm not sure how 12 year old me had a worse grasp on this than eight year old me, but I somehow got it into my head that you made music with turntables. Um, again, not, not sure where the logic was there. I'm sure there was something, but I'm not remembering that made me think, Oh, okay, that, that must be what you do. So I, Saved up my pennies and I begged my parents for an early Christmas birthday present and went all in and bought uh, some cheap little decks, um, some Pioneer CDJ 400s, um, got them, which were, when I say cheap, still you know, quite an outlay for a 12-year-old, um, and got them and put some music on them and started messing around. And it was probably about a month into having them and scouring the internet and watching tutorials on how I should DJ and how to DJ and how to, how to make music with turntables and being surprised when nothing came up on YouTube um, before I realized that ah, this wasn't the way that you made music and that it was in fact through programs like eight-year-old me had figured out with Cubase and FL Studio was a big one then and Ableton, which is still around now and that I use today. Um, but I already had these turntables and I'd spent my Christmas and birthday and a bunch of my pocket money on them. So I was going to stick to it. So I basically decided I may as well learn how to DJ. And so I did. And so for a while there, I DJed and, and made music because I, I worked out indeed that FL Studio was a good place to start. So I started out with FL. 
Um, so I was doing a bit of DJing. I was doing producing. I started studying a lot of music subjects in school um, and uh, even did like a short private uh, DJ academy thing, um, just like with some local DJs that were teaching people who wanted to learn. So I did that. I did a couple of other short private courses in music production. I then did a certificate four in electronic music production and have since gone on and done the bachelor. Um, and yeah, everything sort of trucked along through high school. Um, towards the end of high school, I kind of, I don't know, I, I think just due to year 12 and things like that and, and trying to focus more on the study, excuse me, um, trying to focus more on my study as well as noting that the type of dance music that I was DJing and producing at the time, um, hard style, wasn't very popular. Um, and they, they, look, there was a select group of my friends and stuff that liked it. But when it came to whenever I would play a gig, I'd go out and I'd play hard style. And I could just tell that, you know, people weren't really that interested in it. And it was a bit between the disheartening fact that not a lot of people liked the music that I liked. Um, there was not really any place for me to play it, especially being underage at the time. I was really just limited to whenever there was an underage uh, event that I could DJ at. Um, and again, my study uh, workload going up, I basically dropped music altogether. Um, I stopped DJing, um, put my decks away and stopped making music. Um, I stopped making music probably for about six months and then slowly got back into... I've I've spoken about this in a few different interviews about how I ended up getting back into making music. And when I got back into making music, it was more commercial music and I've racked my brain and come up with a few different stories as to how it happened. But then I always remember after the fact, like, no, 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 that's not when that event happened. Um, I, I honestly am unsure. I think it was something to do with my cousin who at the time was, uh, he was 18, 19 and going out to town and um, in clubs and he sort of communicated to me about like, if I wanted to get into clubs, I'd have to play commercial music in the past. And then obviously I'd, I'd completely dropped, you know, the DJing altogether and playing in clubs, but something, something he said to me at one point, he ended up linking me up with a friend of his that was a producer at the time was called uh, rubber teeth. Um, Paul Cranenberg. He's since gone on to be, He's changed his name a few times and I, I don't want to butcher it here. I, Flash 89, I think, or Flash 99, something like that. Um, anyways, quite an extremely talented producer then and now. And he was showing me some of the music he was making, which was um, like tech housey sort of stuff. I, through that, got quite interested in Complextro, which is like a subgenre of, of electro. And then through that, got interested in the sort of music uh, that I would then make for several years, which was more just commercial. Um, I suppose yeah, you would just call it commercial dance, electro house. Um, and uh, yeah, kept making that. And then it was just before my 18th birthday that I got a phone call um, from a friend of a friend that ran a nightclub uh, in town uh, called the dog and duck. And uh, at the time, a close family friend ran the dog and duck. And he'd asked the entertainment manager, uh, Dan Fernander, to get in touch with me because he knew that I'd, I DJ'd and he wanted to help out a family friend. Um, ironically, I was no longer DJing. I hadn't DJed for almost 12 months at that point, which was a bit awkward, but I left that fact quite mute 
and uh, just proceeded with the phone call. And the phone call went something along the lines of like, hey, you heard that you're a DJ. Um, the, the, the general manager, Jason, says that you'd be awesome to have down for a set. Thanks for lying for me, Jason. It would have been terrible at the time. But um, do you want to come down and, and play a set? And I said, absolutely. I'd love to come down and play a set. That would be incredible. I'm, you know, 17 and in high school, the prospect of going to go play in a, in a you know, very popular nightclub in the city was, you know, didn't matter that I wasn't DJing anymore. It was still pretty much any kid's dream. Um, and the, the problem was that I said to him, I was like, oh, look, is it going to be an issue that I'm not 18? Again, ignoring the fact that I didn't have any commercial music to play at the time. But am I, I'm not 18. And he sort of said, oh, that could be a bit of a problem. We'll get back to you. And then it came back being, when do you turn 18? And I was like, oh, in a couple of months. So like, right, when's your 18th birthday? It turned out it was going to be on a Friday and they were open on Fridays. So why don't you come down? And so I went down at 11.59 p.m. on the Friday of my birthday. And the minute the clock struck midnight and I was legally 18, went straight in the club, went straight up on the stage and played my set. The set consisted of me panic buying music for the month before. I went to JB Hi-Fi and went to the little dance music section they have there. I'm not sure. I think it is a bit bigger now. But um, at the time, it was maybe three, four albums wide um, and five, six albums deep. And I just went through and I literally bought every single dance album that they had. Um, things like you know Ministry of Sounds, Clubber's Guide and um, the annual and stuff. Assuming that the clubber's guide would be the music that was played in clubs, which is absolutely not true. Um, it is a very selectively picked playlist of songs, lots of great songs, but certainly not the kind of stuff that's necessarily played in a nightclub at peak time. But nonetheless, I got those songs. I went through these you know, dozen or so CDs and I picked out my favorite 30 and um, I put those favorite 30 on a USB in the order that I thought they worked best in. And I went in the club at, uh, at midnight on my 18th birthday and I played my 30 songs and prayed that people would like it because I certainly didn't have any other music to fall back on and I didn't even listen to commercial music and I'd never been in a club before and I didn't know what people did. Um, so I just, uh, yeah, just, just crossed my fingers basically. And it must have worked out okay uh, because they said to me that was pretty good and did I want to come back the next week? And I said, absolutely, but I would need more music. So, and then I basically worked in clubs at least once moving on to twice moving on to four or five times a week every week for the next i think i worked out i worked at least every weekend not including wednesday thursdays and and uh and sundays for i think three years there um which uh that led led to me getting incredibly sick because i was uh working in a nightclub and uh when you're 18 and you work in a nightclub and you're trying to make a good impression and um you know keep your job uh, you tend to overextend yourself. Uh, so I would get to, the, even though I might only play, I was a beginner DJ and not a very good one. And I would only play, say, you know, 10 to 11 if I was lucky, more likely nine to 10 in a smaller side room at the club. But because I wanted to make a good impression, I would be there from 8 p.m., if not earlier, hanging out with everybody, having drinks, and I'd be there until. We closed at 5, 6 a.m. And then because I knew the, the general manager and he would invite me to hang around afterwards to, to hang out and chat, I would stay. And because I was trying to make a good impression on everybody and sort of get to know the bartenders and the staff and the managers and like, oh, we won't fire this kid because he's, we like him, even though he's not a very good DJ um, at the time. <laughs> I like to think I got a bit better since then. Um, but I would stay until 5, 6 a.m. 
And then I'd wait till 7am, at which point they would have finished packing up. And then we'd have sort of knockoff drinks until 8am. And then everybody would sort of this, you know, sleep clock would have reset. So we'd all go out to the casino and have wedges and drinks and chat until 2pm, at which point I would go home, get a couple of hours sleep and then go do it again. Plus the fact that I'd started uni, was doing uni nine to five. I was studying advanced computer science, which I was not very good at, was not really interested in. It was one of those things that I just applied for because I thought I would never get into it. And then I did get into it and I thought, okay, well, I'll go do this. I was interested in, in um, IT and a bit of programming, but just not to the level that they wanted to teach me. Uh, and it was a very intensive course. So between doing that nine to five, I was still living quite far out in the country. I wasn't as far as I previously was, but I was living in McLaren Vale at the time traveling to the city in peak hour traffic every day, nine to five. And then it would get to the weekend. Um, and I would be out for yeah, almost 18 hours at a time, um, drinking and partying with my friends. And that led to me getting incredibly sick. Um, I also got diagnosed with sleep apnea um, and a whole bunch of other nasty things and, and post-viral fatigue. And for about seven months there i was completely wiped out and just didn't really have any energy to get out of bed um and still djing on the weekends which was absolutely the worst thing i could do still trying to drag myself to uni um basically got worse and worse eventually did defer uni for six months but still kept djing on the weekends because i was so determined by this point i had got a little bit better at djing and and my sucking up must have worked because i i progressed up the ranks a little bit and um was getting to play on the on the Friday and the Saturday night and getting the occasional set in a um in a bigger room in the club and getting a bit more of a feature and a bit more promotion. So I was determined that even though I was literally killing me and probably shaving years off my life, I, I knew that this was something that I kept wanting to do. So I kept pushing myself through it. Um and uh and yeah got tremendously sick and got sicker and sicker and sicker. Um and I, I, I don't know, I, I wish this, I wish that part of the story sort of had a, a happy ending um, in terms of a, a life changing moment. I don't know. I, I don't know if it, it, it certainly made me appreciate a lot of things. It certainly then led to me taking things like my health diet. At one point there, I, the big wake up call for me was that I got down to 55 kilos. I'm, I'm 6'1". So being 55 kilos and well, 55 kilos was when I stopped weighing myself. So I think I probably got a bit lower than that. But um, yeah, it was incredibly underweight and unhealthy simply because I just, I couldn't eat. I felt that sick and that run down. Um, I was on a bunch of antidepressants and stuff at the time because I was also just very depressed and miserable um, because I was so permanently run down and permanently exhausted. And um, yeah, so between all that, I found myself in a very sticky position where nothing really happened. And, and to be honest, like there it was a very slow progression and I slowly built myself back up going, you know, changing, seeing a dietitian, um, seeing psychologists and uh, getting a personal trainer and going to the gym, fixing what I ate, fixing my sleeping pattern the best I could um, and, and getting, you know, exercise and things like that definitely sort of brought me back to life a bit. I then also had a couple of different surgeries to get rid of the sleep apnea, which was better because I could actually sleep. Um, it was definitely a very long road. I would say the worst of it was over in about a year, year and a half. It wasn't really, it probably took me a good four years to actually properly get over it uh, until I was actually back to normal. It's probably worth noting as well that the, the, the big thing and the thing I think I regret the most is that in that time, 
I was so run down and demotivated and felt so awful that I couldn't really do anything except what was essential. And at, at the time, what was essential was uh, my work, uh, the, the DJing. The DJing because I was, one, very passionate about it and I loved doing it and I wanted to pursue it. Uh, and also uh, the, uh, my study, like studying at uni, which was important because I wanted to commit to the course I wanted to finish it. I was by this time I was studying the, the Bachelor of Music at Adelaide Uni. And um I I wanted to finish it. And because I was also at the time living in accommodation that was subsidized, I had an apartment on Highley Street, which is the clubbing district here in Adelaide, uh, which was very cool, very loud and uh, an intense place to live. But I I don't regret it. It was on the ninth floor, I had a wicked view, could literally see to the club. So I could look down and be like, oh, club's getting busy, I better head down. It was very fun. Um, but I had to keep studying whatever I did because the condition of being in the housing that I was in was that I had to study. So I definitely had to finish that. And so as a result, the thing that fell behind the most was my production work, which I massively regret because it was the thing looking back all along that I was actually passionate about. I was passionate about producing from when I sat down at, at my stepbrother's computer and messed around with MIDI clips on Cubase. I was passionate from when I started listening to dance music and accidentally bought DJ decks and learned how to DJ. And I was passionate about it all the way through until I got this phone call to say, come and play in a nightclub and then got really sick. I don't regret that at all, but I definitely at the time put way too much stock into the importance of DJing and progressing as a DJ rather than I didn't want to be a, a DJ. The more I thought about it, it was I, I wanted to actually be a touring producer that DJed as a way to play his music and to entertain people and, and, and put the music in a form that people enjoyed experiencing it. But somewhere along the line, again, I think back on it and I, I try to pinpoint the moment where I got really confused about it, but I, I just can't. It was just something that happened very gradually. And I think, again, just being so sick, it was really just tunnel vision about, you know, what was the next step? What could I do today? You know, not, you know, not anything to do with future planning, uh, such as... I think most 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds would be much the same sick or not is just going from day to day doing what's fun and not really thinking about what's actually the future goals. So I, I was still producing all through this time period, but I was to the point where I was producing maybe a song every six months to a year. That was not good music at all. Um, it was, it was probably actually, I listened back to it now and it was actually quite good music but it was just so over-engineered it was just i was never happy with it and i think i i kept thinking that you know if i kept working on this song hence why songs would take me a year i was working on them for an entire year only really working on production maybe once a week sometimes it would even be once every two weeks or once a month which is just absolutely it's that's you you can't be a producer that only produces once a week um and I was just so committed to, you know, these songs would be the songs that would make me huge. I'm this, you know, this DJ that's building a bit of notoriety. But at that time, I was actually not to toot my own horn too much, but became quite a good DJ because I was doing it so much. There was a good two years of my life there where I was DJing every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I became quite good at DJing, got a bit of a name for myself. And I was convinced that all I need to do is make this song that I'm making at the time perfect by working on it once or twice a week. Um, and then once I put it out, it'll be massive. Everybody will love it. I'm already got all the skills because I'm this amazing DJ and I'll be, you know, I'll be touring the country, which is just at looking back on it. 
I was an idiot. Again, I was a sick and tired and depressed idiot. So I give myself a little bit of slack. I was also quite young and didn't really understand the industry like I do. Well, I don't think anybody really fully understands it, but I understand it enough now to know that that was definitely not the way to do things. And what I would have been way, way, way better off doing uh, at the time would have been to slow down my DJing a lot, um, probably once a week, maybe even once every two weeks and have focused way more on writing music. That would have been a lot better for my health and a lot better for where I am now, which is someone who can, who can say that I've, I've been producing music for, for 10 years now, but I'm not as good as what I should be because I would say that about four of those 10 years, I, I really didn't do much production at all. So I think that's a massive disadvantage that I put on myself, but I just try and use that as motivation to work harder now. Um, definitely, you know, again, I, I was locked in financially to having to do the DJ stuff at the time, but I wish I had shuffled my priorities. Um, but nonetheless, around 2016, I would say it was, I went through a pretty nasty breakup with my girlfriend at the time. Um, there was a few other things that happened. My mum um, broke her arm and was uh, in, a, in a cast for a while there between that and the breakup. Um, and then subsequently, a few months after that, I then dislocated my shoulder. Um, I guess uh, like mother, like son there. It was very odd timing. She just got her arm better and then I dislocated mine. Uh, between all of that, that was another pretty massive life-changing thing because uh, everything sort of went on hold. I also quit working. I was working with an agency at the time, which I don't regret working with, but certainly I think I should have left a lot sooner. Um, the we, A fantastic a agency and lovely people, um, but just without going into too much detail, it was making me very miserable at the time. The sort of work I was doing was very low rate pub gigs, and I just I hated doing them. They were making me miserable. The relationship was making me miserable. I was still quite, I wasn't really sick anymore, but I was having a lot of fatigue issues and stuff to do with the work and to do with the fact that these other things were making me miserable. Um, and then, then yeah, by the time my mum broke her arm, the girlfriend dumped me, my lease ran out. I had to move home to look after my mum. Then I dislocated my shoulder and spent eight weeks sleeping in a chair because I couldn't lay down and had this, had this uh, ruined shoulder that was sort of the next big life changing thing for me. And I, uh, I ended up very much reassessing things at the time. And I had a good, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what he was to me at the time. He was just a, uh, he was a friend who used to work for the dog and duck, um, mainly running security and a bit of the entertainment stuff. When I worked there the first time, it's worth noting that I hadn't worked for dog and duck for four years by this point i only worked for dog and duck for about a year after i first joined them on my 18th birthday before i got picked up by this other local agency and started playing a bunch of other venues uh which meant i couldn't work for the dog and duck but and the dog and duck had by this point actually gone out of business and been bought out by another company who'd reopened it under the same name and it still trades today under that name and um i ran into this guy that used to run the club back when I was there. I don't think he ever particularly liked me that much back when I was there the first time. Um, not that he had anything against me at all, but he, I, well, I suppose, I suppose he liked me, but he, we were just incredibly different people. I'm still a, a, a dweeby little white boy now, um, little nerd, but back then I was an incredibly dweeby white little nerd. 
And uh, that was definitely not the kind of person that he would traditionally hang out with. Um, but for whatever reason, we ended up kind of running back into each other. And um, I think he took sympathy to the fact that, yeah, my, my life had very quickly, well, had gradually fallen to pieces and then really come to a big screeching halt with, you know, the whole, the, the breakup situation and the lease thing and the situation with my mom and, you know, leaving the company that I was with. And he could tell that I was a little bit um, burnt out basically. And I don't know what it was. I think may, potentially maybe he, he must've seen some sort of potential in me for, you know, some, some sort of, you know, epic comeback or something, but he, uh, he devoted quite a bit of time into sort of bringing me back up. Um, I used to, um, not that there's anything wrong with this, but I used to be very much a, a, a guy that didn't, I didn't really value my appearance at all. I would just quite happily, you know, buy t-shirts and, and all my clothes from, from Kmart or big W or whatever, um, or just wherever I could get them the cheapest. I really didn't care. Um, I didn't care what my hair looked like. I would always just go in and say, just, just a trim every couple of months. Um, I didn't really care about anything. I, I, and I guess that was the problem is I'd been pretty miserable and depressed for so long that yeah, I did. I didn't, I didn't really care about that much other than what was a day to day requirement. My, the, the way I presented myself um, in real life pretty much translated into my brand and my music as well. The music was almost non-existent. The branding was very just blurry and just whatever I'd kind of stumbled on at the time. My lo my DJ logo was fine, but it was very dated the my social media branding and everything was fine but it was all very dated it was all just everything everything in my life was just like yep that box is ticked that's good enough we'll just move on to the next thing um with no real ambition to go any further which is ironic because the whole reason that i had got into the industry w was with an ambition to take this as far as possible was seeing these music videos of djs playing at festivals and playing their music that was where i'd always wanted to be but somewhere along the line, I just sort of stopped thinking about the long-term goal and just doing whatever I had to do to achieve the short-term goals. Whereas, uh, yes, this guy took me, took me under his wing. We went out and, and you know, bought me a bunch of new clothes, not from Kmart, that um, you know, looked good. And I started, uh, I rejoined the gym. I'd quit a year prior to this happening, but I rejoined again and you know, started taking care of my fitness um, caring about the way I dressed, actually caring about having like a you know a deliberate haircut, not just a, a trim off the top every time. Um, which again, no digs to anybody who is who does just dress in whatever clothes. I mean, you look at Mark Zuckerberg and and Steve Jobs, and their their whole thing was that they would wear they had their wardrobe was exactly the same, and they'd wear the exact same thing every single day. And it wasn't anything fancy because they were such busy people, and they didn't believe in wasting time during their day every day. Um, you know, picking out clothes and stuff like that. So some of the smartest you know, billionaires in the world wear the same things. I think um, Bill Gates has a bit of a similar philosophy. But for me, I think it came down to more having some pride in myself, having some pride in the way I looked, the way I you know, dressed, actually having a bit of an identity. To start with these clothes that I would wear, I was just wearing them because this guy had said, wear this, it will look good. And some of that stuff I have worn once and I've never worn again because... I don't think it looks good at all, but some of it, I quickly started to realize like, Oh, actually I really like shoes like this. And I really like wearing jackets. And I, you know, I really like, you know, I was someone that had quite long hair because I never got haircuts to now, you know, if my hair goes above a two on the sides, I start freaking out and, um, and need to go get a, uh, need to go get it shaved. Cause I, I, I just can't stand the way it, it makes me 
feel because it feels like I've, I've stopped caring about my, myself and my appearance. And it was amazing how quickly those things translated into lifting my mood. The minute I actually started caring about myself and the way I presented myself and behaved. And then in turn, also with his help started working on my, my branding. I started being uh, taking interest again in it and uh, we changed my logo and I got new press shots and I, um, I got, you know, these insane visuals made up and um, a whole bunch of stuff. And I completely represented the way I was DJing and I started not doing these. I, I remember that was the big fallout with myself and my old um, manager as I told him that I, I didn't want to do these, you know, 40, $50 an hour gigs in, in pubs in a back room anymore. I, you know, I, I, I knew that I, I'd been doing this long enough and I was good enough that I was better than that. And he basically said that I was getting too big for my boots and I should uh, reconsider. And so I told him that I was done. Um, so I started working with this, this new, not, I don't suppose you'd call him a manager, but certainly um, someone who was just sort of, of gui like gui guiding me a little bit um, and started doing these bigger shows and playing on stages. And, and, and I was able to get those shows because I was, you know, doing a good thing and playing the right music. And I looked the part and I dressed the part and I acted the part and we had the, the logo and the press shots and the visuals and, and the music that all represented the part that I could get these better gigs. And, um, you know, feel, feel a little bit like a rock star up there on stage, uh, which I think is a huge thing for, for an artist because it gives them that validation that what they're doing is actually paying off. It's an amazingly um, gratifying thing. You spend so much time and money and effort investing in your brand and the way it's presented to have that paid off by being up on stage. You've seen yourself on the poster with the logo looks great. You look behind yourself on the screen as your amazing visuals and out the speakers is coming your awesome music and the crowd is absolutely loving it. It's this big payoff moment. And I think through all those things, that's sort of why I, where I am now and why I've become passionate about the things that I am I'm passionate about. I was always passionate about music and about this long-term goal of becoming a touring producer, but I lost that. I was always passionate about, I mean, we, I skipped over all the stuff through high school. I used to do animation and, and a bit of graphic design stuff, but I used to love animation. I used to love graphic design. I used to love working on that stuff. And I basically lost all of it when I finished high school and, and that period where I got sick and I was just focusing from week to week on completing my study and, and DJing to have money um, and to keep, keep living. Basically I'd lost all of that. Whereas going through this breakup, getting over my sickness issues, being bedridden and well not bedridden chair ridden on a on a couch sofa um for eight weeks while my arm healed and and starting to take and then from there going back to taking pride in my appearance taking pride in you know the my you know physical health and mental health and pride in my branding and my music it built me back up to a point where i was actually happy doing what i was doing um, and yeah, so I feel like I've been talking for ages. Sorry if that got a bit long winded, but that is definitely, I think most of my story and how I've ended up where I've ended up, which is, uh, yeah, I'm at the moment, I'm not doing anything because the whole world is ending, but before the world ended and hopefully once it stops ending, I'll be back to, uh, to, you know, touring and, and, you know, and taking, you know, and yeah, continuing with positive mental fitness, physical fitness, um, and you know, some of, again, not to toot my own horn, but as I'm told by a lot of people, some of the best looking, uh, branding and content, uh, that's going around at the moment, which has all been a long journey to get there, but I'm proud of it to say the least.
No, it's definitely awesome. Like your Instagram account and stuff like that. Probably one of the best ones I've seen around. That was a pretty awesome no, trans- transformational story you had. We are about to run out of time because it was such a good story. I didn't want to butt in. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, well, I feel bad. I feel like I've, I've hijacked the uh, <laughs> the podcast interview here. Here's me just here's me just talking for half an hour. <laughs> I reckon it's the best. Sto- uh, they're the best um, podcast though when the when the host shuts up and lets the person actually tell the story. It's annoying when you actually yeah, listen true. to podcasts where the um, host just keeps butting in. Hey, you're doing a podcast, aren't you? You're currently doing one and you're going to do another one. Do you want to talk about that before we wrap up? Yeah, so no, I, I, that was one of the reasons I was so keen to jump on and, and do the podcast with yourself is one, I was I was more than happy to help and, and have a chat. But uh, but no, it's something that I've, I've become quite interested in. Basically with all this um, you know COVID stuff that's going on at the moment, uh, when I for the last two years I've kept a it's literally in my phone it just says to do in a note and I would write things on there that it was it was stuff I needed to do and it was looking back on it um a really really poor way of of keeping a list of stuff they had to do I'm all for to-do lists but this the problem with this to-do list was that it was a combination of things that needed to be done immediately as well as things that needed to be done long term and what kept happening was I, the things that were long-term and I was quite interested in kept getting pushed down, 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 because every week there'd just be more and more short-term things on that list to do. The other problem was even some of the long-term things when I would get through all the short-term things, like you know, send an email or to, you know, to you know, uh, apply for something or, or book an appointment, they, even when I would get all those things done and get to the long-term things, the long-term things... I would end up prioritizing in terms of the um, time investment to reward outcome. And so there was a few things that uh, when this whole COVID thing started, that I basically took all those, the things in my to-do list and wrote them up on a whiteboard and I've slowly been chipping through them. And these have been all the things that I knew perhaps there wouldn't be an immediate return from my time investment, but that I was always passionate about doing. And one of those things was live streaming. Um, not obviously there's been a lot of live streaming going on during this whole uh, outbreak thing, which I think is fantastic. Uh, there's been plenty of, um, you know, like live DJ streams and stuff like that. And that was something that I'd considered doing, but especially once I saw everybody doing it, I sort of thought, okay, well that's, that's covered. My DJ stuff is a lot more along the lines of a sort of performance rather than, you know, I'm, I'm not a bad DJ. I've been doing it for a long time now, but I'm, I'm nothing special. I think the performance is more what I, I bring rather than, you know, necessarily expert turntablism skills but uh, i decided the live streams would become more conversational so um every monday they i did a couple initially when the pandemic first started and then quickly realized that my uh, macbook pro was not up to snuff it could handle the live stream or it could handle the music production but when i tried to combine producing music which can be quite a uh, cpu intensive thing with live streaming which can also be quite a cpu intensive thing the computer just um conked out basically and i was having a lot of issues with the stream and a lot of dropped frames and stuff like that and uh audio video sync issues so i've actually during this time i've built a whole separate pc which i'm actually talking to you on now um that handles everything to do with yeah podcasting uh live streaming a lot of my video editing stuff ends up getting offloaded to this computer um so that i can keep working on the macbook while this computer renders videos and stuff like that um so back to doing it now Mondays, I do a studio stream where I uh, name pending as well. I'm very frustrated. I'm normally pretty good at coming up with names for things, but at the moment, it's just called a studio stream. 
So the studio stream is me in the studio working on stuff, whether that is, you know, graphic design or video editing stuff. It's generally music production stuff because that's what I do the most of. Hey, Midtown, um, I already cut you off. Like we're literally running out of time. Hey, where can they we're find you? Yeah, where can they find you on social media? Uh, on social media, you can find me pretty much everywhere. There's a Midtown Jack account. I'm pretty good with all of them. Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter. They're all just at Midtown Jack. Uh, the only one that's a pain in the butt is Snapchat, which is Midtown underscore Jack, which haunts me to this day that that underscore is there. But otherwise, Midtown Jack, pretty much anywhere you want to find me or MidtownJack.com and there's links to everything there. Oh, awesome stuff. All right. Hey, thanks for coming to the show. Did you have fun? Yeah, no, I had awesome fun. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, no worries. Well, yeah, that's a wrap. I'd like to thank Midtown again for coming on the show and I'd like to thank you, the listener, for listening. Please tell a friend about the podcast and have a fantastic day. All right, bye.